in the church tonight. Uh, feel free to stand with us. We're going to praise God. Feel free to come down in this middle space here. It's a really cool space. Really, really cool space. Just come down. Yeah. Cool. Let's praise God. Don't be 
church rises up, rises up with praise. Amen. You really look like you don't believe it. Okay. Okay. Oh, there's some smiles. Yay. Good. Yes. I love the smiles. I had a lot of straight faces at me then. Like, no, I don't believe it. Good. Keep smiles. Keep smiling. Keep smiling. It's okay to respond as well. Fantastic. Welcome to church. Are we in an attitude of praise? Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, welcome to church tonight. You may be seated. Praise is amazing. Oh, beautiful. I pray that this week is going to be an amazing week for us as a church as we overflow into our city with praise. Ooh, maybe we're going to have some testimonies next week with what has taken place through our lives as we overflow for Him. How are you doing? Good. Back to school tomorrow? 
<laughs> for some. University's already back, but school is going to have a great day tomorrow. Awesome. Has anyone had a celebration this past week? Birthdays? Anniversaries? Oh, she has two. Happy birthday, Tyra. Would you come and join me? Is there anyone else that is going to join? There must be someone else who's had a celebration. A birthday, a wedding anniversary. Oh, what about an A-plus, Vona? Two A-pluses, I hear. I reckon you deserve... Was that three? I reckon you deserve chocolate. Yeah, come on, come and join Tyra. <laughs> Talking about praise here. There's praise, this amazing woman, wow. Incredible. Is there anyone else? Okay, church, how about you stand? We're going to bless these beautiful, beautiful women. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity, purpose and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you both. <laughs> How about you give them a proper hand? <laughs> awesome. God bless you. Well, a couple of things to draw your attention to this coming week. We've got Pastor Graham Lauridson with us. How many of you remember Pastor Graham? He's all the way from Melbourne, so he's going to be with us next Sunday. He'll be at all of our uh, gatherings next Sunday. And... Uh, the following week, we've actually also got uh, Pastor, we've got Ray Andrews, I don't think he goes by the title Pastor, but Ray Andrews, he is a psychologist, um, an Irish man, do you remember Ray Andrews? We've had him a few times before, hilarious, so that's going to be great next week with Pastor Graham and the following with Ray, and tonight we have Pastor Sheridan, yes, <laughs> so that's great. Uh, now, I just want to update you with our mission. So if you turn your eyes to the screen there, can you see the screen past me? Yes? Okay, so as you can see, Elska has done an amazing job there with this beautiful picture. You'll see the footprints going across the world. You'll see there that we have 108 commitments in. That is the cards that we've been filling out, the faith um, commitment cards, faith promise cards. Well done, church. Amazing. Well, I think we probably have got a few more to come in as well. If you haven't had the opportunity to fill out a card, then they are on the left-hand side in the foyers as well. So we've got 108. That's awesome. With a total of 275,000. How is that? Yeah, come on. That deserves a a clap. Our, our um, missionaries are, like, you sounded a little happy there. Our missionaries are actually way more happy than that because they, they get to stay where they are based. They don't have to come home. So isn't that cool? They are pretty happy about that. So we, we promise um, on, the, on the faith commitment cards, right? So Sheridan and I fill this out. And we we like, yes, we promise this, but we believe, God, that you are going to supply that. So this comes in during the year, and then we give. 
So, so far, you can see the footprints there, the ones that are filled in in green. Each footprint represents 10,000 given. The one, the, yeah, the one that is filled in is given. The ones that are not filled in is yet to come. So the, what we have there is around 36,000 has already come in. Isn't that cool? Yeah, fantastic, already come in. So that is since, from, since May, we're only in July. So there is obviously more to come, but that is so cool. So we'll keep updating you with what is happening there. So thank you God for, for what you are doing with Global Missions. We are involved in Global Missions. If you haven't traveled over there, if you fill out a card and we pray, we are involved. We are involved. We're active with our missionaries. It's very, very exciting. So thank you, church, for your giving. It's awesome. Well, we're going to continue in our attitude of praise and worship. We're going to be on the front foot, a, a church rising, rising in our praise and worship. Incredibly powerful. So how about we stand together and the team are going to continue leading us. Thanks, team. Father's arm. 
to say. And oh, what a Savior. And isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. And Christ is risen. Bow down Revealing 
heaven's wonders. Spirit, come, Spirit, come. What you spoke is now unfolding. And all your children shall be holding. Awakening in this moment, Spirit come, Spirit come, pour it out, pour it out. Let your love come over, here and now. Let your glory.
I actually think he wants to release something. There's lots of promises. There's lots of talk. Lots of prayer about revival coming to our nation. How many would love it if revival came to our nation? Most of us would. Most of us would. But revivals, if you look at revivals through history, revivals take place generally after the church is stirred up in prayer and praise. And I've been quite, I've been thinking a lot about singing and, and worship over the last few weeks and the whole thing about, talk about it this morning a little bit, about the fact that music really connects with us emotionally. That's one of the beauties of music. It connects with our soul, you know, it, it grabs us emotionally and, and we have these connection points with God where, because we're open to Him, our heart's open, our, our mind, our imagination, our spirit is open to Him and, and He can grip us in our emotions and do something and it's like when we connect with God at that level, it's like bang, a PowerPoint happens, something happens in the spirit, He releases something, or something takes place and we get to choose to go to that place. You know, we can turn off entirely or we can, we can push into that place and we can open ourselves up to that place. That's why when you talk to people, particularly who have been Christians for a long time, they'll go, I love that old song that we used to sing. And it's not about the song. It's about there was a connection. It might be an anointed song, but there's something about the connection with God that took place while they were singing that song. And so they go, I love that song because they connect to the memory. They connect with the emotion of it straight away. That's why we're instructed to sing a new song to the Lord. Because God wants us to have emotional connections with Him now, today, and tomorrow. Not just in the past. So when we think of, wow, that was an incredible encounter with God. It was today. It was tomorrow. It was the next day. It wasn't five years ago when they sang the anointed song. It's about being open and connected and, and wanting to embrace God today. Worshipping's easy because worshipping, essentially, we're kind of like sitting back in our lounge chair, feet up, just going, oh God, you are awesome. I'm soaking in your presence. You're fantastic. This is a two-way, this is the warm fuzzies, the, the whole nine yards. Worship's really easy, but praise, now that's a different story. Because praise demands something of you, and it demands something of me. Praise doesn't just happen. The Bible, look, all the way, look, I will praise the Lord. It says in Genesis even, now I will praise the Lord. It goes on right through, I will praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord. In, um, in Psalms, I will praise the Lord. Tells my soul, soul, praise the Lord. It really demands something of us. It doesn't just happen for free. But what I really sense in my spirit tonight is that God wants to release the spirit of praise amongst us. And that's something that takes our cooperation. Not just going to happen. He wants to release it. We get it to make a choice. We either say, okay, Lord. I'm in, I'm in for all you you got, all you want to do. I'm here I am. And I'm gonna praise you. I choose to step into this place tonight. Or we can go, Well, yeah. No. Just it feels too hard. I don't feel like praising. My week wasn't the best. Do you know what I'm dealing with, Lord? Have you got any idea? The answer is yes. 
He knows. But He wants us to praise Him because praise and worship is something that comes from us. It's something that comes from us. And it's unsolicited from it. It just we can choose to do it or not. And tonight I really sense that He wants to release a spirit of praise. What I would like to invite you to do. I'm not going to actually ask you to do anything in particular. But what I'd like you to do is to come and fill the space up here. And we're going to sing a praise song. And I'm simply going to, and I'm going to ask Ray, Jan, I'm going to walk around and I'm going to lay a hand on your head and by faith I'm going to release a spirit of praise. And then I want you just to step into that place. When I preach, often I'll be worshipping Jesus and when I know the time's coming, I take a step forward and keep worshipping Jesus. Now, it might just look like I've taken a step forward, but for me, I've changed zone completely. I've stepped from where I was praising God into the space that is filled with the anointing for me now to preach the Word of God. I changed a gear. And I think that's what God wants to do tonight with us in praise. What does exuberant praise look like? It doesn't look like outside of your personality, but it looks like letting go of your personality, if you know what I mean, within your personality. Can I encourage you? Would you like to participate with God tonight? That's the invitation. And if you do, why don't you come down and jam in this front bit here. And I really believe by faith that God's going to release something tonight. And it's not just for tonight. It's a change of gear permanently. Ray, would you like to come, Jan? We're just simply going to release a spirit of praise in this place tonight in Jesus' name. Come in, there's still room down the front here. Come on, pack in. Great, I'll be able to stage dive on here. Can I, can I, um, let me tell you what I am doing and what I'm not doing right now. What I am doing is following the prompting that God's placed in me to release the spirit of praise. What I am not doing is trying to evoke any kind of emotionalism within you. I'm not interested in that, okay? I'm not interested. If you, if you, if you want to be silly, you be silly, but you've got to justify it to yourself later. What I'm doing, and I really sense, is an invitation in God, from God, to release a spirit of praise that will lift the spirit of heaviness. And our part of the deal is, I was going to, one of the points I was going to preach on, I probably won't get there. Our part of the deal is simply to cooperate with God. Okay, God, if that's what you're doing, I'm in. Come on, let's do that. That's great. Do you guys want to lead us in a praise song? Some good energy, etc. Praise. So we've really got to give out of ourselves to God. And we'll go and lay hands, eh? And just let's release the spirit of praise in this place. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that level. You are.
tonight we praise you freely in this place in Jesus' name. everything that he's done. You don't have to think too hard to think about that, I hope. Not the cross. The cross. I heard it said recently, you don't, we won't truly appreciate the cross until when we close our eyes and imagine it, we see ourselves hanging there. Yes, he hung there for us. At the cross, he released peace, hope. The Holy Spirit came because he went. Holy Spirit fills us with joy, with peace, with hope. He counsels us, He guides us, he, and we get to do life with this God. It's pretty cool, us. We get to do life with this God. Can I encourage you not to allow yourself to go into the consumer posture with praise, because praise is the opposite to consumer. It's about us giving out to him and when we come together as a church just change gear into this isn't about me it's not about how I feel it's not about making me this is about Jesus and what he's done what he's done cool fantastic why don't you give six and a half people a high five and then grab a seat but grab it fairly close don't go too far away Fantastic. Well, I want to continue encouraging us tonight from Stephen's life. Can I ask you how many were here this morning? Not many. Good. That's great. Now, look, I want to do something to make this just slightly easier. All stand on your feet. Come and fill the front rows. Come and fill the front rows. You're too far away. Too many gaps. I don't like speaking to empty seats. It's something about it. They don't respond. They don't smile. 
Oh, you guys moved like half a row forward. Like, this one's still empty. Anyway, that's better. Thank you. Very cooperative. That's wonderful. Oh, for the, yeah, the music team. Brilliant. Very good. Thanks, guys. So I want to carry on talking about Stephen. Stephen is um, a character in the book of Acts, and you find that him in chapter sort of 6, 7, and Stephen, um, there was a problem in the church. And the problem in the church was that um, the, the widows weren't being looked after equally well. There was the Jewish widows and the Greek widows, and they weren't being uh, looked after equally well. And the Greeks said, hey, our widows aren't being looked after well. We've got a problem with this. So the apostles said, we will fix the idea. We're seven Greek men, Greek-speaking men. They got seven of them. They made them leaders in the church and said, fantastic, you're empowered. Fix the problem. We'll all live happily ever after. And we can get on with our job. Now, if you know anything about people, you know where there's more than two people, you don't live ever happily after. There's always some friction, isn't there? That's just the way it rolls with people. But they went on from there. It was great. But Stephen, it says, was a man full of power and grace. And that was, he was a man that was known for performing wonderful miracles. And Stephen um, was obviously very bold in the things of the Spirit. And he really, really ticked some people off. He ticked them off so much that they pulled the same scam on him that they pulled on Jesus. See, Jesus, they falsely accused. And they said, you did this, you did that, you did the other thing. It was a load of rubbish. They got liars in to confirm their lies. The leaders of the day, they did exactly the same with Stephen. They said, you've been blaspheming Moses in the temple, and you're saying all this stuff's going to happen. And, and so they got liars in to collaborate with them. Or corroborate. What's the right word there? Collaborate or corroborate? Collaborate. Thank you. And uh, I was quite good at English, but not that good. <laughs> that word's got too many syllables. Um, uh, now I'm lost. So, um, thank you, liars. They were liars, and they called them in to, to condemn him. And Stephen gets this opportunity presented to him. He gets an opportunity to respond to their accusations. And uh, this is where we're going to join the story tonight. <clears throat> in Acts. Now, I'm trying something a little bit different. I'm going to look up the scriptures as we go because I figure if I do that, it'll give you time to look them up too because normally I've got them all here. But I really want you guys to engage with your Bibles. There is so much power in the Word of God that I think if I just read it to you, I'm actually robbing you of the blessing of engaging with it yourself. So maybe even, um, I don't know if you can get it on the screen. That would be good if you could. Anyway, this, so what I'm talking about tonight is um, steps to living a practical life, a purposed life, sorry. And can I just put this warning out there at the front? That living a, a biblical faith, living a biblical faith is not a balanced life. It's a radical life. It's not balanced. Now, I, was, I asked people this morning, if you can tell me anywhere in the Bible where it says we're to live a balanced life, not a radical life on fire for Jesus, let me know. And I did have one person know. They said, what about the Sabbath? Very good. Because the Sabbath brings balance, doesn't it, to our lives. On the seventh day, he told us to rest. But why did he tell us to rest? Let me tell you why. So we can live the other six days with passion. That's why. So, and the seventh too, exactly. So, so a, a faith life being sold out for Jesus is not really a balanced life. It's a life that you're going to be fired up. He never said anywhere, just, just go out there and be a bunch of wimps and, 
you know, be half-hearted and, and just, if someone asks, don't answer their question. Look, I know, Jesus says to the generation of 2017, I want you to live in such a way that no one will be able to tell you believers. No. He did not say that, did he? Quite the opposite. Everything is like, come on. You died to self. That was what baptism was about when you're baptized. We died to self so that we could live for the purposes of the king. So, <clears throat> here we go. Just got to find the right verse. Chapter, let's go chapter 6 from verse 8. Acts, that is, the book of Acts. Chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to, de to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. We know that spirit was the Holy Spirit. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Simon and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the... Have you noticed that? This man is always speaking about... That's when there's something wrong. People go, Everybody's saying this. You go, How many is everybody? Oh, one? <laughs> it's all right that, isn't it? Exaggerate. So they arrested Stephen and brought him to the high council. We've heard from um, him saying that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point in the high council, everyone stared at Stephen because his face began, became as bright as an angel's. That's pretty cool. Put yourself in that place. Are giving Stephen a hard time? It's kind of like my head under the lights, but more. It's like they are giving Stephen a hard time, and all of a sudden he starts to glow like the face of an angel. I asked the question this morning. It's just a curious thought I have. What do you think the expression on his face would have been? Well, some would say, yeah, pictures would say peace, but I've got a feeling, you know, it would glow like an angel. There's angels of judgment. There's different angels. I, I suspect that if he looked at you, his eyes would have really pierced your soul. The Spirit of God came on him in such a powerful way. I think that would have, his eyes would have cut through every bit of pretense that you may have had and exposed the heart. Yet, somehow, with the love of God. Carrying on in verse 7, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land, of land, 
God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land and they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nations that enslaved them, God said, and in the end they will come out and they will worship me here in this place. That'll do. That sermon goes on and on and on. It is an incredibly powerful sermon. At the end of the sermon, they stoned Stephen to death. It riled them so much that they stoned him to death. Today, I'm not advocating that that happened to any of us. But there's some incredible points throughout the sermon uh, of Stephen's that I think we can apply to our lives, and they are really good. Our theme this year is purposed. Really, really good, really helpful for helping us to live a purposed life. Thought number one comes from verse number two, verse of chapter seven. That is, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestors Abraham and Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. What I like here is they said to Stephen, the, the leaders, in this very confrontive environment, they said, do you want to reply? Now, Stephen could have gone, yeah, nah, it's all right. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. You know, my bad. Should have just eased back a bit there, a little bit too enthusiastic, a little bit too passionate, etc. I just should have chilled. Sorry. See you next week. But he didn't. He seized the opportunity. He grabbed it with both hands. He was presented with an opportunity, and he didn't take just half the opportunity. He took the whole opportunity and preached this fantastic message to them, outlining the whole, or just about the whole story of God's grace to humanity throughout the Bible. I think we can learn a whole lot from Stephen, that we can seize the opportunity when it comes our way. Now, he didn't even manufacture the opportunity. He simply seized it. How many of us live life in such a way that opportunities come and opportunities go and we do nothing with them? I have been a classic in my life of something happens and when I'm sitting down later assessing the situation, I go, oh, blow, I should have said that. Darn it. That was, ah. But Stephen took the opportunity that was presented with him. Tomorrow, we're going to be school, we're going to be in university, we're going to be in college, we're going to be in workplaces, we're going to be in shops, we're going to be wherever we are, an opportunity will come our way. And it might only be this much opportunity, but if our name was Stephen, we would answer it with this much response. Go Stephen. And so tonight I want to make you aware of that. I want to stir you a little to be ready that to live a purposed life, we need to make the most of the opportunities that come our way. Not only do we need to grab the opportunity, when it comes, we actually need to milk it for all it's worth. Not just a little bit. We need to jump in there, boots and all, and take it. And take it for the glory of the king and for the kingdom. Every one of us in this room can do that tomorrow. It doesn't matter whether you're sitting behind a desk. It doesn't matter whether you're in front of people, whether you're at a cafe, going to the soup. It does not matter where it is. An opportunity will present itself to you. I was very good at saying, 
I really struggle with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because I spend all of my time with Christians. If I'm not spending my time with Christians in the church here, I'm spending my time with Christian leaders. And like, where's, you know, it's just difficult for me. Poor me, poor me. It's difficult for me because I'm spending all my time. No, no. I go to the supermarket. I go to the cafe. I go to the petrol station. I go to all the places you go. And what I've learned to do and am learning to do more and more is to take hold. Airplanes. I sat in an airplane recently. I had a 45-minute conversation with the guy all about the things of faith. All about my, shared my testimony with him, how I was healed, how God's touched my life, why I'm pursuing God. He knew nothing. Taught him how to pray. By the time I got off the plane, I was saying to him, mate, don't forget to pray. These are the things you need to ask. God, show himself to you, reveal himself to you, bring other connections to you. 45 minutes, when the opportunity comes, it was not, hey, mate, how you doing? It's like, here's an opportunity. He's not going nowhere for 45 minutes. For an hour and a half or whatever it was, we're going to have a great conversation. And I mean, sometimes I just tell you to shut up, but he was good. So take the opportunity, yeah? Okay, so we carry on. God told him, leave your nation and leave uh, your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. Simply, I'm not going to unpack this because of time, but simply let me say out of this here, to step into the promises of God requires us leaving the familiar. If you're going to pursue God into something new, you've got to leave the familiar behind. You cannot hold on to it. When God says go, go. If God says come on, we're going into something new. Okay, right, here we go. Go into the new. Don't get caught up. Don't get into the trap of holding the the familiar, because most likely what you're holding on to has become an idol in your life, and God doesn't like idols in his life above him, nothing above him. The next one, verse 5, uh, but God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did, not, God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. Now, this, particularly for young people in today's generation, I think is very, very important. I think it's very, very important. We live in a generation that when young people, most of you, leave home, you want to start out in life at the same level your parents were when you left home. Hey, it's true. Of course you do. I mean, if you've been brought up in a Ferrari sport car and that's your normal, why would you want to go and buy a Nissan Pulsar? Why would you? Why would you? But the reality is your mum and dad's budget may have been able to afford the Ferrari but your budget can't even afford the pulsar. That's called life, people. That is how life works. That is where it is at. What I want to bring out of this is the work, the work involved in God's call on our life often looks nothing like the fruit of the call of God 
on our lives. But you've got to do the work to get the fruit. You've got to do it. You cannot just go from here there to there without doing, not in the kingdom anyway. You've got to do the work to get the fruit. If you want to cook a roast dinner, today's generation just want to pull the label off it, put it in the microwave or whatever, and hey, presto, roast dinner. But someone had to turn the dirt, probably not with a shovel, with a big machine, but anyway, someone had to turn the dirt, someone had to plant the plants, the seeds, thank you, that grew into plants, someone had to harvest the plants, someone had to prepare the plants, someone had to chop the plants all up, put them in the roasting dish, and put them in an oven that someone else had made to cook the vegetables. And we haven't even got to the meat yet, the important part. That's just the veggies. Yet, we don't think like that as a generation. But in the kingdom of God, the work of your call generally looks very different to the fruit of your call. Go on the journey with God. God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. But he did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants. He had no descendants. So he's got this promise here of the ready-cooked or the full-cooked roast dinner, all the trimmings, the crackling on the pork, the whole yard. And over here, he's going, but I haven't even got a seed to plant. But God takes him on a journey to do the work. And as he does the work, as he goes on the journey, the fruit comes. We've got to apply that to our lives. In this instant world, that is a little bit difficult. But we can all do that. Right, moving on. Last one for tonight. Verse 6. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Abraham knew what it was to approach life with a long view. He had no descendants. He had a promise. Yet God was talking to him about the fact that his descendants were going to be held in captive for 400 years. Abraham had learned what it was to live with a multi-generational view. And that's something we need to do. To, to truly live a purpose life, we need to learn to live with a multi-generational view. In um, 2 Kings chapter, 10, uh, chapter 20 and verse 19, we read of King Hezekiah, and his approach was the polar opposite to Abraham's approach. King Hezekiah, this is what it says about him, then Hezekiah, uh, this is 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 19, says, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good, but the message wasn't good. Because if you read it in context, the message was that he was about to take, he was in the future going to take all the people, including his sons, into captivity. The message wasn't good at all. It was disastrous for the nation. It was disastrous for his own family. Yet Hezekiah goes, this message you have given me is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security in my life. I reckon this is how Kiwis think. The average Kiwi, the average, you know, off-the-shelf Kiwi. 
I think this is how we think. I think this is how we vote. We've got an election coming up in three months. Is it three months? It's about that. A couple of months. Oh, yeah. oh it's only two months. We've got an election coming up. This, this is how Kiwis think. Well, as long as it's okay for me, as long as my life is comfortable, as long as I'm going to be okay, that's why they go, we will give you a tax cut, 10 bucks. 10 bucks, people, you get an extra 10 bucks in your wallet. Woohoo, yippee, yay, fantastic. I'll vote for you. Because people think about themselves. That this is about me, it's about my comfort, it's about how it feels, it's about how it looks for me. All I've got to do is I've just got to make the 67, I think it'll be, by the time I get there, so that I can collect my super. And then it'll all be okay. But what about for the younger? I don't care about the younger generations as long as I get there. I was watching TV, and um, it was a, a story about fishing. And I like fishing. And it was talking about the commercial fishermen in the 70s absolutely pillaged the sea. They, they did. They just hauled fish out of the sea like there was no tomorrow until the stocks, the fish stocks around our country were so devastated that it's taken 30-odd years, nearly 50 years, for it to recover. And the way that they've helped the fish stocks recover is they've, done, they've put this thing in called a quota system. But what the quota system is all about is saying, we want to make sure that there's fish for you, for your generation and the generations to come. And this is how Abraham thought. He thought about him, the next generations, and the generations to come. And I think to live a life, a truly purposed life in God, we need to learn to think about ourselves and the generations to come. I need to be thinking about myself, my children, their children, who don't even exist, and their children's children. That's what I need. It's how I need to be teaching myself to think. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think it's actually really important. And I'm not sure whether it's because we're a young country, but we don't really think like this as Kiwis. But I'm asking the question, what do I need to do now so life will be better for them then? And I'm thinking about my sons, and I'm thinking about their kids, and I'm thinking about their kids' kids and beyond. What decisions can I make now that's going to make life better for them then? Because this is the way Abraham thought. This is a biblical way of thinking. So I'm thinking in terms of spiritual heritage. What am I putting in place now? What am I trying to invest in my family now that's going to have a spiritual legacy, leave a spiritual legacy for generations to come? I'm thinking about family. What family value? What family heritage? And uh, uh, Jan and I are trying to create now that is going to still be sowing fruit in generations to come. I'm thinking about financially. What decisions can I make financially now that are actually going to be good for my kids, their kids, and their kids in the future? What can I do now? And I think this is a biblical, as I look at the scriptures, it's a biblical way of thinking which isn't necessarily our normal way of thinking, but it's a biblical way of thinking. And I think if we're going to live a purposed life, we've got to be purposed in the decisions that we make. Right, that's plenty. I think that's enough points for tonight, isn't it? Don't say yes. Let me remind you what we just talked about. So we just talked about to truly live a purposed life requires a long view. We talked about the fact that when you get the opportunity... 
take the opportunity that's presented to you, create it if you have to. We talked about the fact that to step into the promises of God requires us leaving the familiar. And we also talked about the fact that often the working out of God's promise in our life looks nothing like the fruit of the promise. I pray that's helpful. I love this because Stephen is... I've got another... Uh, what do we do? Four there. So I've got, I've got 12 points and I'm only halfway through a sermon, but we haven't got time for that tonight. I love the fact that Stephen's absolutely preaching his heart out here. The situation's getting worse and worse. In fact, it's turning really, really pear-shaped. He is about to die. There's no coming back from where he's going, which he's probably pleased about because he's going up. But, you know, it's turning, in the natural, it's turning really, really pear-shaped. But the seed I'd like to leave you with tonight is that despite what's happening in the natural, something different is happening in God's economy. Something different's happening in the kingdom's economy. This is starting to go really, really pear-shaped for Stephen, but in God's economy, the truth has been revealed. In God's economy, a legacy has been established um, that'll last forever. In God's economy, there is a young man in the crowd called Saul who is on a journey with God. In God's economy, the gospel's been presented um, in an accurate way and been preserved for us today. In God's kingdom economy... He is always working behind the scenes. When sometimes it seems darkest, he's probably working most. When it seems like he's not, sometimes that's when he's working most. When you go to bed tonight and lie your head on the pillow, God is at work. He doesn't stop. In his economy, things look different. So can I ask you a couple of questions to finish? Muses, if you want to come, would be great. First one is, where is God at work in your world? Where's God at work in your world that perhaps you're not seeing him? Because he's working. Behind the scenes, he's doing something. You may be given the speech of your life, the sermon of your life, while your life is a sermon. And it might be going pear-shaped, or it might be going really, really good, but God is working behind the scenes. Where is God working in your world that you've not recognized that he's working. And where is God waiting for you to make the next move? You see, if you think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus has done everything. He came as requested. He went to a cross as requested by the Father. The weight of the world's sin, wrongdoing, was, was heaped upon him. He was resurrected from dead three days later. He's now residing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus did everything that he had to do to restore our relationship with God that was severed in the book of Genesis. He now waits for our move. The Bible tells us if we believe in our heart that he was risen from the dead, that he died, was raised from the dead, and confessed with our mouth that he is the Messiah, we will be saved. See, that's our move. He's done everything else. But that's our move. He can't do that move for us. Now, as we go through life, different circumstances, he'll orchestrate different things from time to time, but he then waits for our move, our response of faith, our response to him. 
What's faith look like? Faith can look like many different things. It can look like an action. It can look like waiting. It can look like something practical. It can look like all sorts of things. In fact, I was reading in the book of Ezra this week that they felt ashamed to ask the king for help. And that was the trigger that pushed them into faith. Because right? they, they felt ashamed. It's amazing what can push you into faith. But maybe tonight God's waiting for your move. Maybe that's in a life, in, in your life somewhere, and what's going on, or, or maybe it's around coming into relationship with Him. Maybe tonight you can't say definitively that you're in relationship with Jesus. Well, it's your move. He's done everything. It's now your move. And tonight I'd like to invite you to make that decision, to make that choice, to say, okay, Jesus, tonight I'm going to step into relationship with you because you have done it all. And I believe in my heart that you died, that you raised from the dead for the forgiveness of sin, wrongdoing, so that I can now be connected to you. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I want to be connected to you. I want to be in relationship with you. You may have never made that decision ever. Or you may have, for whatever reason, you've kind of backed away from it. And tonight, maybe you're saying, I've got to renew that. I need to step back up to the plate because it's my move. It's my move. Can I ask you just to bow your heads for a moment? I'm going to ask you to lift your hand just in just a moment if you know you need to choose Jesus tonight. Fantastic, fantastic. Because it's your move. It's your move. I've seen four people lift their hands so far. If you know you need to respond to Jesus tonight, if you want to take a step, if you want to make the next move, can you make sure I catch your eye, please? I've seen four people so far. tells us that when one person gets right with Christ, the angels celebrate. Four people responding to Jesus tonight, that's like heaven's just throwing a party there right now, a big party. So why don't we jump up to our feet and give these people a great big hand. someone doesn't come and see you and you just lifted your hand, can you please come and see me? I'd love to congratulate you and pray with you. Let me finish with this question. How are you going and living a purpose life? How are you doing in that? And how can you improve? Where can you improve? What could you do this week that you never did last week that will help you live a life that's more purposeful? this week. And when I say purpose, I'm saying purpose in the direction of the kingdom. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and everything else will get sorted out. That's the promise of God. Seek first his kingdom. 
So what are we doing to live purposed in that direction this week? And what's one thing we can do to improve? Father, I thank you for your church. And wherever we are this week, whatever we're doing, Father, I pray that we would be like Jesus, that we would be purposed in our life, that we would take the opportunities that are presented to us. Father, that we'd do the work that you've placed in front of us, no matter what it looks like. That we would do the work with a grateful heart. And we would do it faithfully before you with a grateful heart. Father, give us the courage to let go of the familiar if you're asking us to move forward. And that does take courage, Lord. I ask that you would make that clear. And Father, tonight, anything that I ask that you'd also help us to think generationally, that we'd think far wider than just ourselves, but we'd think about the future as we apply ourselves to the things that you have asked us to do. And Father, tonight too, I ask that as these seeds have been scattered, that the seeds that don't need to take root in people's life tonight would simply drop to the ground and they'd never think about them again. But the seeds that you've destined to be planted tonight would become well-rooted, would grow into strong plants that would produce great fruit. Give him a good hand. Those great words. Thank you. For some reason, I'm feeling like a roast dinner. Pork crackling. Eggs on toast is not going to cut it. <laughs> no, it's great. Fantastic. Some great thoughts to take into our week with us. Young adults and youth, is anything happening tonight after the gathering? It is holiday time. It is go to sleep, have a cup of tea, you know. Make your parents a roast dinner. <laughs> I like that one. Young adults are at Adder Ashley's, is that right? I hope that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's out there now. Okay, give us a wave, Ashley. Young adults, if you're a young adult, go see Ashley. She will give you her address and you need to take a plate. Is that right? Bring a roast dinner with you or something similar. A plate with food on it. Any sort of food will go down nicely, I'm sure, with the young adults. And is it board games, is it? Board games. The young adults are going to play board games and the youth are going to have a cup of tea and go to bed. After they've made the roast dinner for mum and dad. <laughs> we're going to praise to finish. I reckon we're going to praise to finish. Yeah. Thank you for coming out tonight. I thank you, church, for being purposed in our giving. It is good to give. That is another way of praise and worship, isn't it? So our, our giving stations are on the left. As we exit, I declare blessing over the finances, blessing over the church in Jesus' name. And if you are here for the first time, we would love you to pick up a welcome pack. If you haven't already got one, there's some white packs at the back there. I can't quite see who is back there with the green shirt, but somebody is. Who is that waving at me? I can't even see. James! Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Goodness me, maybe I need to get glasses, eh, James? <laughs> Thank you, James. 
So pick up a, a white pack. Have we got some, you fill out the card and you get a drink, is that right? Yeah, if you fill out the card inside, we will, we'll get in touch with you during the week and we've got a drink to give to you in return. No roast dinner, but we give you a drink. Fantastic. Well, let's praise to finish. Have a great night. Keep singing